This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Jimmy Lucero of Faith Christian Family Church in Lubbock, Texas. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, so before we jump into it, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about myself. Uh, Some of you guys may not know who I am. It's been a while since I've had the opportunity to minister on a Sunday morning. So I'm just going to fill you guys in a little bit of where I come from. My name is Jimmy. I am from Roswell, New Mexico. Anybody from Roswell in here? Anybody ever been? We got a couple guys back. Anybody uh, ever been through Roswell? Anybody ever be like, I don't ever want to go back there again. (laughs) I was born and raised in Roswell. Um, uh, One of the first things that is always asked of me is, have you ever seen an alien? Anybody from Roswell, you know what I mean. No, I've never seen an alien. It got to the point where people would ask me so many times, have you ever seen an alien? I would just tell them, yes, I grow them in my backyard. Um, I, just, I, I just started making stuff up because I got tired of people uh, here asking me that question. And so I am from New Mexico. So the next most common question about being from New Mexico is, oh, there's a new part of Mexico? No, we're an actual state, like, yeah, we, there, there is a place called New Mexico. So I, I moved from Roswell in the year 2000. I came here to go to Tech, uh, and for the reason of if you've ever been in Roswell, lived in Roswell, been through Roswell, in the summertime, the summers there tend to be a little bit ungodly as far as the heat. Uh, it is in the desert, so for it to be like 105, 106 there, five, six days in a row, it's really not that big of a deal. It's kind of common there. And so we're just kind of like, hey, whatever. So I tried to get out of Roswell as fast as I could. Came to Lubbock, had my first summer here, and was like, man, God has forsaken this place too, because it is hot here too. And so God just wants me somewhere that it is hot. So I started going to tech and was going to school there and uh, doing my best to try and be consistent and and get good grades and all of that. Well, um, then I met a girl. And, and not, to, not to blame her, but my mindset was like went from here to here on the girl. And, um, and I, I wondered to myself, like, what did she think I was doing? Um, because she worked at a candle shop. And here I am, a young college boy, and I spent a lot of time at that candle shop. And so I always wondered, like, what did she think I was doing there? Like, what guy spends like three hours at a candle shop? talking about different fragrances and the sizes and how do you make a candle. And I'm just like, I don't care. Just give me your number. And uh, so we, uh, I started talking to her. And um, I was there at the candle shop so much that the owner of the candle shop literally puts me on the payroll. And so anytime the lady was out of town, uh, my wife now is out of town, um, I uh, got paid for working there. <laughs> And it was great because I didn't apply for the job. I just I knew everything there was to know about candles, though. And so I, uh, you got any questions, just let me know. And so I, uh, you know, worked at the candle shop. So I asked uh, my wife out on a date, and she turned me down. And I asked her again, and she turned me down. And I thought, you know what, I pursue the Lord with persistency, so I'm going to pursue you with persistency. And I kept uh, asking her out over and over and over, and she finally said yes. And that's all it took was one date with me, and she fell in love. <laughs> and, and now we have been married for going on 12 years. Um, we have two little girls. 
we have a, uh, a, a six-year-old and we have a four-year-old. One is in first grade, one is in pre-K. And at that point in my life, you know, I had always thought, you know what, I'm going to come to tech, I'm going to get my degree, I'm going to go back home, I'm going to be a teacher and I'm going to be a coach and everything's going to be great. And that was the plan was to go home. Well, after I got married and have kids, I was kind of like, I should probably stay. And so I went ahead and stayed in Lubbock, and everything is great. I love it. I love my wife. Um, and there's nothing like marrying your absolute best friend. Amen? It, it's just wonderful. You know, some of the teens sometimes will ask, you know, what's it like being married? You know, we want to be married in the future. And, and, and I'm like, just way future. You're like 12. So um, we, uh, you know, we talk to them, and we're like, yes, we, uh, we, we love being married. And the, the best way that I can describe it, is because she is my best friend, I, I'm just like, it's like a never-ending sleepover with your best friend. This, this marriage is incredible. I love it. It is so much fun. And so um, my wife and I, um, hello, that's my lovely wife. Um, I, uh, we have been married for going on 12 years. We here at the church, we are the uh, college pastors for Emerge as well as the youth pastors for all of the uh, junior high, high school students as well. We love every single minute of it. There, there is an adventure when you are dealing with teenagers. If any of you guys have teenagers in the home, it is an adventure, and I absolutely love it. There is nothing else I would rather be doing. The best part of it is that uh, being their youth pastor, I get to act like a teenager with them, and other people just look and be like, oh, yeah, he's a youth pastor. It's all right. And, and I get to get away with it. It's great. And so um, one time one of the teens came up, and a while back and asked my wife, you know, because they see me acting goofy and funny and just having fun with them all the time. And um, one time one of the teens came up and was like, is he always like this? Yeah, pretty much. And she says, the little girl says to my wife, well, what is it like, like living at home with him? And he's like, always like this. And she says, it's like having three kids. <laughs> so that's why that's why I love my wife, because you know, it's great, you know, but the way I see it is you got one life, have fun, be smart, live for the Lord, but have fun, amen? You got one shot at this thing, and I'm not about to waste it, so I am going to live my life to the fullest, have fun serving the Lord, because Christianity is not boring, right? Amen. If you need a Bible this morning, put your hands up. Some of our ushers will come down. They will get you a Bible, place that in your hand. If you've got a smartphone, you're welcome to uh, pull that out and follow along. We will put it up on the screen as well. One thing I would encourage you is bring your Bible to church. Make sure that you've got your, your phone with you, your tablet, or, or an actual Bible in hand. But bring something. Don't just look at the screen uh, because... You never know, I'm promising you I didn't do that, but if all you're relying on is the screen behind me, for all you know is I just was back there typing this up and made it say whatever I wanted it to say. I did not do that, but I encourage you, bring your Bible. It's okay, you're at church. It's all good. Nobody's going to give you a hard time about it. So you got your Bibles in hand. Go with me to the book of Mark. The book of Mark is where we're going to start today. Uh, The message today that I have for you I've titled Unique. As you saw up on the screen, it went through a couple of different heroes throughout our time and in our, our, our life, and, and that's what they are. They're heroes. They did some wonderful things here on earth. And then I love at the very end of that video how it says, but Jesus is the hero above all, right? That our God is the God above all, that it says he is unique. 
in every way about him. There is nothing uh, uh, that can compare to God. There is nothing that you can look at and say, well, that's some, somewhat similar. No, our God is unique, and unique means that it's existing as the only one or having no equal. That is our God. That is our Lord and Savior, is there is no one in existence like him. Let's pray. Father, we come to you today, and we thank you that you are a unique God. Amen. I like to pray quick. Mark chapter 2 and verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. This is the one thing that, that I want you to, to, to realize about me is that when I speak, I like to get a scripture stop, explain it. And so that's what we're going to do throughout this morning. And so I'm, I'm looking here and it says, when Jesus returned, and we have a tendency as human beings at times to read this scripture, see the name of Jesus, and just be like, it's Jesus. It's the Son of God. It's our Savior, yada, yada, yada. We don't really take the time to sit back and think, this is Jesus, the unique God that they are talking about right here. Because this is the thing, is that in the Bible, the very core message of the Bible is this, is that there is a loving Father, a loving God that is in existence right now that is desiring to have a family reunion with all of his children. And that at some point, God is going to say, the only way that's going to happen is through my son, Jesus. Is this unique man, Jesus. Scripture says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That right there is unique. Is that God has given his one and only Son, sent him to this earth in a very unique way, because as far as I know, this has never happened in human history where someone was born of a virgin. It's extremely unique the way he comes. And so his job was to come, bring us back to have the family reunion. And guess what? We're going to leave this earth in a very unique way when that time comes. Everything about God, everything about Christ is extremely unique. He sends this man with the name Jesus. A unique name that is above every name. The Bible says, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Nobody else can claim that. It's unique in every single way about him. His, even even his, his birth, not just the way he was born, but the fact that he was born is unique because the minute he was born, it split our time, our calendar in half. Get this, we have the time he was born before that is all B.C., before Christ. After that, you have A.D., which is a Latin word, which means the time of the Lord. It means that anything after the birth of Christ, it was from he was born, there's year zero. Anything after that is we are living of the time of when Jesus walked this earth. His birth was so significant that it literally splint time, and he's so unique that we preach and talk about him 2,014 years later. And we're still doing it. Everything about him is unique. This is the man that we are talking about, the man that everywhere he went, miracles happened. Let's pick up in verse 2. 
news has spread quickly about him. And so soon, in verse 2, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no room even outside the door. Now, 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 understand this. Can you imagine this? Is that what's going on is news has spread that Jesus is in the house. And all of a sudden, a bunch of people start showing up and they pack out this house so much that there is no room even outside on the front lawn. So let's, let's imagine here that Jesus shows up to your house, your home. You have your dream house. It's five bedrooms. Your wife has four bedrooms. You've got half of a bedroom as the husband. There, there, there's, there's four baths in there. It's a, a three-car garage. There's, there's 7,500 square feet, and, and you're sitting on five acres. And it, this, is, this is your dream house that you're in, and Jesus has just shown up at your house. Who are you going to have there? Everybody. Once everybody in the world, in the community, and once people find out, hey, Jesus has just shown up at your house, all of a sudden, you're going to have wanted guests. You're going to have unwanted guests. You're going to have strangers that are going to show up. It's like you won the lottery. People are going to come up to you and be like, hey, I'm your brother's cousin, sister's dogs, nephews, aunts, uncles, next door neighbor, and, and we're like related, me and you. We're like this. And let me in your house. Let me get around Jesus. And so you've got people everywhere in your house. To the point that Jesus, Jesus was fully man, fully God. And so at some point, I imagine, as he's speaking, he probably may have possibly gotten thirsty. In your home, Jesus gets thirsty. You are the host. And so you say, Jesus, you keep going at it. You keep preaching it. You are awesome. Hang out right here. I'm going to go get you some water. Hang on. And so you're walking. You pass your bedroom, and you're like, Err. and you back up. And there are all kinds of people just sitting on your bed. And they're not doing anything. They're just like sitting there going like that. They're, they're trying to listen to Jesus who is in your living room. And you're like, what? What is this? This is like my private room. What are you doing in here? And as you're talking to them, you look and you see that through the window, people are like that. And they're trying to look through, even in your window, they're trampling all over your roses. They're on your grass. This is what's going on here is that there are people everywhere in this place. You want to know why? It's because of this. The mindset of these people who are here is in their mind, they're thinking, wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. Wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. And my thought, is that how we are? Because I know that's how we should be, but is that how we are? Is that wherever Jesus is, that's where I want to be. I want to be in his presence. Just a thought. Let's read on in verse 2. It says, soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. We'll stop right there. So you got these four guys and they have this friend. This friend is paralyzed, and in their mind, they are thinking to themselves, wherever Jesus is, that's where we need to get him. And the reason we want to do that is because I know if I get my friend in the presence of Jesus, Jesus is capable of changing this guy's circumstances. Amen? Is that 
possible in our lives? Is that not the same God that we read right there that we are serving today? The circumstance and the situation and the problems and the sin and the habits and the hang-ups and whatever it is that you want to call it, that circumstance in your life, if we have the mindset of if I can just get into the presence of Jesus, he can change my circumstance. He can change who I am, what I'm doing in my life. He can change everything there is about me if I can just get into the presence of God. So they load up their friend on a mat. They put him down on, on this mat. And I, I, I wonder, because my, I'm just, uh, maybe that's why I'm a teenager, but I play things out in my head all the time. And I wonder to myself, with these four guys, like how, what was their thoughts when they were doing this? Hey, this guy is paralyzed, and, and, and it makes me wonder, like, what did he have to say about all this? Because really, even if he puts up a fight, he, he can't stop them. There's four of him. He's paralyzed. Hey, you're going to go where we tell you to go. And so they put him down on this mat. They strap him in because they don't want him to fall off. They strap him in. They pick him up, and they're going to carry him to Jesus. <laughs> it's, it's, this guy's heavy. We got we got to carry him. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh. I imagine one of them was probably like, you're going to see Jesus today as heavy as you are. We're going to get you to Jesus. You better believe that. And so they, they get him. And can you imagine when they turn around the corner because the Bible says that this house was packed out. Even on the outside. Can you imagine them carrying him for a while? I have no idea how long they carried him. They're just carrying this guy and they're like, whoo. And they turn around the corner and they can see how many people there are. And they're just like, man. What, what is this? And I wonder if some of them, if one person looks at the other guy and is like, what time did church start? Because that's what they were doing. They were having church. I mean, Jesus was preaching. There's a bunch of people. They were having church. And so they're probably like, we miss praise and worship. This is awful. Because we all know that FCFC's band is rocking it. And we done missed it. And I, I, I just wonder if, if, if that's what's going on in their mind. and Because there, there's people everywhere. But I love the determination of these four guys. Watch this. In verse 4, pick up with me in verse 4. It says, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. I love the determination of these four guys. Because here they are, picking up this guy. And we're going to carry you along. And we see all the people. And just like every other human being in all of humanity, they have an opportunity to make up excuses and be like, there are way too many people here. I am not about to start throwing elbows to push people aside and try and get my friend in. So let's just go home. We'll just leave him here. He'll be all right. I don't think he's going anywhere. We're going to go home. They had an opportunity to say that. Just like the rest of us, my life is just so busy. I, just, I, I, I know I haven't been to church in a while. 
I know, I know I'm not there every single Sunday, I know, but I'm, I'm just so busy. I, you have no idea, Pastor, I went to the fair last night, and I'm super tired. It's crazy. Got like four Twinkies inside my stomach. It's all rumbling right now. I done spent, watch this, I done spent all my money at the fair, and now I can't give my tithes. Ouch. Just know I love you. Okay? Just know that. We come up with all of these excuses. I went to the tech game, and I just came back so exhausted. I, I, just, I can't make it for church. I'm, I'm so sorry. These guys were so determined that they look, they see the crowd, and they're just like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I got to get into the presence of God. I'm going to do whatever I have to do in order to get to where Jesus is because where he is, that's where I want to be. Should that not be how we are? Despite the fact that I am tired, despite the fact that I am busy, despite the fact that nobody else wants to come to church with me, no matter what it is, I will push through my circumstance and I'm going to be where Jesus is and I'm going to be at church. I think we should have some fire some excitement, and some determination. Kind of like these four boys. No matter what, I'm going to see Jesus. You know, I I wonder at, at this point, whose ideal was it to put him on the roof? Like, is, like, have you ever thought about that? Like, that's the weird thing, okay? So you got these guys, they pick them up, and they go around the corner, and they look, and they're just like, that's a whole lot of people. What are we going to do? And so I imagine them sitting there. They got to look down down at the guy. I got an idea. And one guy says, what if, uh, what what if, just, just wait. What if we got him and put him up there. And they're like, all right. Like, nobody argues. Do you, you notice that? They were just like, hey, there's a crowd. Put them on the roof. Like, nobody argued this. They were just like, okay. So they, they strap him down. They lean him up, like, kind of on a corner up on the side of the roof. And one guy grabs him, and they pull him up on the roof, and they set him down. And they're like, we did it. Now what? And the other guy is like, Let's tear this roof off. Let's, let's like just rip this thing apart. And we're going to lower Jesus, or we're going to lower the guy right down, right in front of Jesus. Like, 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 like right there. What do y'all think? And they were just like, cool, let's do it. And so they start, like, like the roofs back then were made a little bit different than they are now. You know, you had like hay and mud and a bunch of different stuff that, that, uh, that made the roof. It wasn't like, you know, now where they had like power tools because that would have been a whole different story. Uh, but they just start ripping this roof with their bare hands and then the Bible says that they lower him down. There was this passion, this desire of we're going to get you to Jesus no matter what. You are going to be in the presence of God no matter 
what? And this was a crazy thing, is that Scripture says right there that we just read that they lower him down in front of Jesus. So my thought, my thinking is, how did they know what room Jesus was in? Like, he could have been in the bathroom, like, standing on the toilet because he's, like, standing up and preaching. He could have been on top of the kitchen table. They don't know where Jesus was. So how did they hear and find out where Jesus was? Watch this. This is what they did. They get the guy up on the roof. They're like, let's, let's, we got to figure out where Jesus is. And so somebody gets down, and they're like, I'm going to find Jesus, guys. Uh, just, just bear with me. I'm going to listen and hear where he is, all right? So, so, so here, here we go. Nope. Nope. And verily, I am with you. That's him right there, right there. He's, he's, he's talking King James. That's, that's Jesus. Right there. That is Jesus right there. So it, it makes me think to myself, these four guys get their friend, throw him on the roof, tear it up. They, li- they listen to hear where it is. Just a thought. Should we do the same thing when we come to church? Because this is what happened is that they go and they lean in to hear the voice of God. And when we come to church, do we lean in to hear what it is that God wants to say to us? Just a, just a thought. That in our prayer time, when we are speaking to God, do we just pray, God, I need you to bless me, and this is what I want, this is what I'm asking you to do, and it's going to be great, because you love me. Or do we pray, and then we lean in to hear the voice of God? I believe as Christians, this is what we are called to do. Is that we will fight through our circumstance. We will press through any obstacle that comes our way because we desire to be in the presence of God. And then when we get in the presence of God, I am going to lean in to hear his voice. Amen. Am I the only one that is getting this and thinking this? Lean in for the presence of God. Read on with me in verse 5. It says, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. This is so amazing to me for this reason is because that Jesus is sitting here preaching, changing lives, talking about the love of the Father for them. And all of a sudden, this dust starts to fall down on his head because they're ripping up the roof right, right above his head. The Bible says they lowered him right down in front of him. And so as he's preaching, he looks up, and the rest of the crowd, they all look up, and all of a sudden, the ceiling just is ripped open, and Jesus' response is not what a normal human being would be. It's a little bit more unique. Because for me, if this is my house, and four boys are on the roof, and they tear up my roof, I am not going to look and be like, hey, what's up? You better believe I am going to get four of my biggest friends and we're going to have words. Because you just tore up my roof. And Jesus instead, what he does is he looks and is like, cool, your sins are forgiven. Like just so nonchalant and, and, and just so unique, his response to all of this. And it's, it's just so amazing. Can you imagine... You, you see the four guys and their desire to take their friend. 
You see Jesus' response to, you know what, this, this is incredible that you want to see me this much. I'm going to do something in your life. But can you imagine the paralyzed guy? Like, he had no choice. The friends just got him and took him. Couldn't really fight back. Then the poor guy is thrown on top of a roof, and he's kind of like, really? Like, really, guys? I'm on the roof now. And then they dig a hole, and they start to lower him down in front of Jesus, and he's just like. Like, can you imagine at that one point when he gets close to Jesus, like if he's this far apart, he's just like, what's up? Like, how awkward would that guy be? It has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was awkward. Verse 6, read on with me in verse 6. It says, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, this is crazy, they just think to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you ask this question in your hearts? I want to stop right there. This is just the uniqueness in the amazing God that we serve is that he says, your sins are forgiven. And then off in the corner, you have some religious teachers that in their mind, in their heart, they just think to themselves. Nobody opens their mouth. They think to themselves, who does this guy think he is? And Jesus is like, heard that. Like how weird and crazy and unique would this be that if I am preaching and in the middle of my message, Ian thinks to himself, I really like Pastor Jimmy's blue suede shoes. And I'm like, thank you very much, Ian. And then the Lord said this. Like, how weird would this be that he just calls him out, even just in their thoughts? Reading on in verse 9. It says, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turns to the paralyzed man and says, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. I I had to raise my voice because there's an exclamation point in there. Reading on, verse 12. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed, proclaimed, praise God, and exclaiming, this is the best part of the whole story. We have never seen anything like this before. I sit back, and this is one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture, because there's so much stuff that you can get out of this. And I sit back, and all of the crowd sees this man tear the roof, lower it down. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and go home. And then everybody starts Praising God, saying, I've never seen anything like this before. Now, I wonder, what is it that they've never seen before? Is it the fact that Jesus performed a miracle? Or is it the fact that they went out of their way to do something just to get into the presence of God? And I I sit back and I wonder, because Jesus had been doing miracles before. They'd seen him do miracles So it's not that it wasn't no big deal. It's not that. But it wasn't his first miracle. They've seen him do it before. Is it that or is it the fact of these four men said no matter what, we're going to see Jesus today. No matter what we got to tear through, 
we're going to see Jesus today. Nothing is going to stop me from being in the presence of God. This is one thing I would like for you to notice. Is that back in those days, whenever somebody was paralyzed or or sick, had some kind of disease or, or anything was wrong with them in any way, they were cast out from the from the community. They weren't allowed to be around general population. And so this man is paralyzed. They send him off. He's not allowed to be where everybody else is. So he knows, the four boy knows, and all of the community knows this guy is paralyzed. They lower him in front of Jesus. Jesus sees him, and he can recognize he is paralyzed. But the difference between us and God is that Jesus did not agree with how he was paralyzed. He did not agree with how we saw him as being paralyzed. Go with me to 1 Samuel. This is the uniqueness of God. 1 Samuel chapter 16. In verse 7 it says this. It says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't judge by his appearance or height, for I, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. People look at the outward, the way we look on the outside, the way he is paralyzed on the outside. And Jesus said, yes, he is paralyzed, but not in the way you think. It's his heart that is paralyzed. Because if you notice, the way he did it is in this order. The roof opens up, the guy is laid down, he looks and he says, your sins are forgiven, now be healed and go home. This is the one thing you got to catch, is that God is more concerned about the health of your spiritual life than he is about your comfort. God is more concerned about your heart and where your heart is and is your heart his more than he is concerned about the physical side of it. Now, don't get me wrong. God wants to heal you. I believe he is a God that heals, but he is after your heart first. Then he goes for all of the rest of it. God loves you. He's after you. Not the outward appearance. Not the outward health. That's a benefit. That's a plus of serving the Lord is when he says, great, I have your heart. I have all of you. And that's the key word there is all. Because so many of us, we tend to just be like, God, I will give you everything except this one little thing right here. But everything else, Lord, is all yours. I will give you my life. I will be at church every single Sunday. On Wednesdays, we'll see what happens. But every Sunday, Lord, I am going to be there. And God, God says, I want all of you. And then when we give him all, he says, this is great. Now your sins are forgiven. Now pick up your mat. You are healed. Go home. Tell people about me. Share my love. Do something for me. Instead of coming back and saying, Lord, Do it again for me. Do it again for me, Lord. Now do it again. It's about you get to give. God has done something in your heart, in your life, changed you in one way or another. And and, and why, why on earth 
if you have this magnificent God that has done something incredibly great in your life and you sit back and you're just like, Lord, thank you so much for doing this in my life. Why would we sit back and say, thank you, Lord, but I'm not going to tell anybody else what you did for me. Instead, we should be saying, can you believe what this unique God has done for me? Now watch him do it for you. He's such a unique God. He is more concerned about our spiritual health than about our comfort. And I find it interesting that he did it in that order, that that is the way he operates. That's the way he works as he is after your heart. You see, we serve a unique God. It was unique the way he came to earth. It was unique the way these boys approached the situation. Everybody said, we've never seen anything like this before. It was unique in every single aspect and in every single way of this entire story. From the get-go, everything was unique about it because we served a unique God and there was no one like him. Can I hear an amen more than from one person? If you agree with me, say amen. amen. We serve a unique God that is wanting to do unique things in your unique life. To you, through you, and for you. God is wanting to use you. And you know, you know because we, make, we serve this unique God, what he creates is going to be unique. He's created earth. There's nothing like earth. We're the only planet out there that's called earth. You're the only one like you. You are unique. Now get this. We have a unique God. We serve a unique God. You are unique. You have the ability to have a unique testimony. Now I say the ability. This is how. Is when you take your hurts your past, your mistake, your background, everything that has made you you, and you take that which is unique to only you, and you create that, and you, you combine that with a unique God, you now have a unique testimony. That, that's it. Your, your testimony is your testimony. There's nobody else that has it. Yours may be similar to mine, we may share some of the same stories. I come from divorce. I come from drugs. I come from drinking. I come from all of that stuff. I get that. We may share that with each other. But guess what? That's not all I have. I have different things in my past that you do not have. You have stuff in your past that I do not have. So none of us are the same. When I take my past that is unique, combine it with a unique God, I have a unique testimony. And God is wanting to do the same thing in your life whenever you say, God, this is what it takes. Is when you say, God, I just want to be in your presence. Wherever you are, that's where I want to be. And then the second thing is when you say, God, I will lean in to your voice. I will lean in, Lord, to hear what it is that you have to say to me. Because human mentality at times is when we come to church, we hear Pastor Stormy or, or you hear me speaking and, and you're just like, that was good for you, right? Like, like you're not leaning in, right? Like, listen. No. It's when I lean in and say, where you are, God, that's where I want to be. 
because I can't control my wife, I can't control the teenagers, I cannot control you. This is your choice. You decide whether or not to say, where God is, that's where I want to be. And I choose to lean in to hear his voice. Would you stand at your feet with me? Thank you for listening to the podcast. For more information, visit faithchurchlubbock.com.